Welcome to the In Doubt Podcast, where we explore the challenging topics that young adults often face. Each week, we talk with guests who help answer questions of faith, life, and culture, connecting them to our daily experiences and God's Word. For more info on In Doubt, visit indoubt.ca or indoubt.com. Hey, this is Daniel Markin. Welcome to In Doubt. This week, we have Jonathan Pakluda joining us again on the show. Many of you might not know who he is, but you should know the name Jonathan Pakluda. He has uh, a wealth of knowledge on the discussion and topic of dating. He's just written a book called Outdated. Jonathan did young adult ministry for 14 years and uh, in Texas at a ministry that exploded under his ministry. So uh, when he says he's seen thousands of people and walked a thousand people through dating. It's true, he has. So in this discussion, he offers some of the insights and some of the wisdom that he has gleaned over the years, not only from personal experience, but also through uh, teaching the Bible and seeing how dating is done through the Bible and how it's done well. So I hope you find this episode very, very valuable. Hey, welcome to In Doubt. My name is Daniel Markin, and today I'm joined by Jonathan Pakluda. Jonathan, Good to be with you. How are you doing? Daniel, thanks for having me on. I'm I'm doing great. You know, I appreciate you having me on. Thanks for nailing my last name. You got it right. And so it's 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 a, we're already off to an amazing podcast. <laughs> this is an amazing podcast. This is great radio. And I, I hear a little bit of a, a twang in your voice. Where are you located? I'm in Texas. But it's funny that you say that because I usually get East Coast for some reason. People are like, are you from the East Coast? But you hear a twang. That's my wife's influence. So she has, if she was on here, the the radio world would be like, wow, she really is from Texas. I mean, there's definitely a twang there. But uh, you're one of the first people to say that about me. I'll take it, though. Did you grow up in Texas? I did, yeah. Born and raised, South Texas, 6,000 people in the middle of nowhere. And now I'm in Waco, Texas. So Chip and Joanna Gaines, if anyone's seen Fixer Upper, you know, that's we're just hanging out here in Waco town. Do you know Chip and Joanna Gaines? I don't know them. I've, I've We've lived in Waco two and a half years and I've never met them. I walked by them once at a, at a basketball game and I've seen just about every Fixer Upper episode there ever was and has been. Lots of people in our church work for them, but I have never met them. That's awesome. Yeah, so you're down in Waco, Texas. You're pastoring a church there. Tell us a little bit more about, like you mentioned, um, like tell me about your family. Yeah, so I'll just back up for a second and say, you know, um, I met my wife here in Waco. So we, we've been married for almost 17 years. We have three kids. Uh, they are, uh, my, my, our son is eight and our daughters are 12 and 14. And we moved to Waco two and a half years ago from Dallas, Texas. And so I was a part of a young adult ministry there called The Porch. It's a national ministry. And we also have locations and campuses in Canada. So there's 18 campuses around the world. It meets every Tuesday night. And so I've done that. I did that uh, starting 15, 14 years ago and got to see it just grow to, you know, 18 campuses around the country, thousands of people meeting there in Dallas. God did that in spite of me. That's not false humility. I really believe that with all my heart. He's just kind of showing off that he can use anybody. And so ministry for me was a crazy left turn in life. I wanted to be a millionaire before I was 30, was in the sales world. I got, I was at a club 19 years ago and someone invited me to a church. I sat in the back row, hung over, smelt like smoke from the night before. I, I had, I knew Jesus. I had heard about Jesus. I, I would share Jesus with you, but I, I didn't understand the grace of the gospel. 
and so end up giving my life to Christ in that time. And the Holy Spirit came in my life in a really kind of radical life change. And so I was, you know, they say drug, sex, and rock and roll. In my case, drug, sex, and hip hop what kind of marked my life in church, drug, sex, hip hop, and church. And, uh, and so I became a follower of Jesus Christ, and that really made all the difference. And so since then, I've had the opportunity to work on some literary resources, uh, some books to help young adults navigate life, one called Welcome to Adulting. There's a Welcome to Adulting Survival Guide. I've also written a resource for the church called Welcoming the Future Church, which is just kind of helping pastors uh, reach the next generation. And then the most recent work is called Outdated, and it's on relationships, dating, and marriage helping singles navigate the the 21st century rules of dating in the church. And so, yeah, that's that's a snapshot of life recently, lately. Man, so lots of time in the books, lots of time with people, obviously in Texas, pastoring a church. Um, you know, I, I'm guessing at your church with your young adult background, lots of young adults that you can speak to there. Um, this is a program for young adults. And so I'd love to just begin talking to you about this book outdated because yeah this is your I guess your newest book tell us a bit about the process like what's it like writing and then pastoring and you know how much does life experience and like your whole uh, ministry like because you've done young adult ministry for a long time one of the big things that often is always such a big uh, topic is dating and Christians deep down wanting to do it well right? Wanting to do it in a God-honoring way. So I'd love to hear some of the why as to why did you write this book? Yeah, so in the porch, in, a, in this young adult ministry, I had the opportunity to have this front row seat of watching tens of thousands of people come together for the purpose of dating and marriage. And so much of ministry is pattern recognition. Like people do this and it works, it turns out well, and, and they do this and it turns out disastrous over and over and over and over. And no one thinks they're doing something that's going to turn out disastrous. It's just what happens. And so as a pastor, you start to write down these patterns and then you, you're getting into the Word of God, the Bible, the 66 books that, that make up the Scripture. And you start to realize that God has said a lot about relationships a lot about marriage, a lot about love. He is love. The scripture says he is love, that he he's the author of love. He's the, the, the source of all true, pure love. And so as we move closer to him and we understand his ideals and values and we begin to apply those to relationships, those are the ones that work out really well and, and go well for people. So I just started writing down those patterns, writing down those scriptures, really documenting that process to come up with something that I'm just like, man, this works. Then my favorite feedback, like the most encouraging feedback I've gotten from outdated is, hey, I read your book and now we're engaged. I read your book and we're, we're three months into marriage now. This is what happens. Uh, hey, I've read your book and I've found contentment and singleness. And for the first time in my life, I'm like, okay, that I'm single and I'm not miserable. I found contentment. And so some of that that outcome from this resource is, is what has encouraged me. And so that's really the, the process of writing I've taught on dating, you know, every year for 12 years. And so you start to, you say some of the same things over and over and over, kind of coming up with new and creative ways to, to illustrate these eternal truths that God gave us in the scripture. Dating's nowhere in the Bible. So there's the, there's like the spoiler alert, right? Genesis to Revelation, you're not going to find dating anywhere because it's a relatively new idea. It's about 120 years old. And if we think about that, it's really profound that prior to 120 years ago, no one in the history of the world ever went on a date. It never happened. The word dating or date 
uh, entered the English language as a euphemism for prostitution. So to go on a date meant to exchange an experience for sexual favors. And if you fast forward to the 21st century, it, it's very similar to how we date today. And when I say we, I mean the world, not the church, but the way the world dates, you know, we watch The Bachelor, The Bachelorette, you're exchanging an experience for sexual or intimate favors. And so that, that was never God's ideal. That was never God's idea. And that is why I think we're seeing the highest divorce rates, the lowest marriage rates. People are getting married later. They're getting married less and marriages aren't lasting. And so I'm just raising my hand and say, hey, we've got to do something different. And to do something different is really to return to the values of the creator of the heavens and the earth, the author of love, and begin to apply those wisdom principles to the way that we build relationships here. Yeah. I mean, what you're describing with dating, I totally can see that teased out, especially when you apply consumerism to all of this. That's right. Because as I understand dating is, yeah, you're, you're trying to walk with somebody else and pursue the Lord together. But in a consumer society, that seems to actually be taking the front seat. It's like, well, let me let me test out all these different options for a bit. Let me, first of all, like, which in a sense, doesn't mean that the method of dating is inherently wrong, as I understand it. Because beforehand, right, like there would be, you know, parents who were heavily involved involved in that dating process. Yeah, or wise counsel, whether it was parents or community or the church. But if you think about the way that we date today, we, we get into a relationship and because we have all the feels, the puppy love, like we wake up in the morning and, and we're so excited to attack the day because this person loves us or they might love us or just the thought of the potential for them loving us makes us excited. And... And, and then we, we kind of progress through the relationship until the feelings leave. And when the feelings leave, we end it. It's not you, it's me, right? We have more resources to help us with dating than we've ever had before. We have personality tests, Myers-Briggs, Enneagram, DISC, Strength Finder, you know, whether I'm a lion, an otter, a beaver, right? Uh, we, we have to, compatibility tests to find out if we're compatible we have matchmakers, be it uh, professional human beings that their occupation is matchmaking, or be it a software, a website, an app. We have Tinder, swipe left, swipe left, swipe right. We have Bumble. We have all of these resources that help us and assist us in the topic of dating. And yet we're getting worse at marriage. The marriage satisfaction rates are the lowest they've ever been. And so you have about half of marriages end in divorce. And then you have this other significant portion of marriages that stay married, but they don't love each other. They're roommates. They're sleeping in separate rooms. There's no intimacy, right? And so we got to think through, where did we go wrong? And I think you you raise an interesting point, Daniel. Uh, you know, Song of Solomon, chapter one, verse seven, I believe. It might be verse four. It, it just says, their friends and family praise their love more than wine. That is to say, they gathered around to celebrate with this couple, had more than the party. It was everyone had agreement that that they would make a great couple. And I think that community aspect is, is left out of uh, the way we do this today. We follow our feelings. And our feelings, man, they are adulterous. Like they they will lead us astray, like Proverbs 7, that we will stray from the path if we follow our feelings. Like we can look at every relationship we've ever been in and we realize that we trusted our feelings and those relationships don't exist anymore. And so if you think about the way the world dates today, where you get in a relationship until you don't feel it anymore, it really is not training for marriage, it's training for divorce. 
We are going to a systematic university to train us how to divorce someone, not how to stay married. We have learned this is how you trust your feelings when really our feelings lead us astray. Wow. Uh, I've never thought of it that way, but I completely agree. It is like almost a training for divorce. And so it's, I mean, ideas have consequences. And so exactly what you're saying, you're seeing that teased out. That's right. Ideas have consequences. They do. And so like, it's no wonder. And not, not, not that it happens like, you know, overnight, but, you know, I think our culture would look at marriage and be like, well, that's more of a, a longer commitment, but there, there definitely is like a, a loosening, like a lower, you know, not a capital C on the word commitment there. That's right. And we're scared of commitment. Yeah, we're, we're yeah, the we next are. generation. The next generation is terrified. And it started with millennials. We're terrified of commitment. So the whole, we, you know, the, the term FOMO, fear of missing out, was introduced into our generation. And uh, it really started as FOBO, fear of a better option. And so as we think about marriage, to, to commit ourselves to someone is to say, man, what am I missing out on? And really with these ideas of the one and trying to find the perfect match and that, it puts so much pressure on us. Like we've got to get this right. And so most people don't. And, and the people that do get it right, think about it altogether different. And that's, that's really a, a big part of this book. So how do you understand that idea of the one, the one person, especially as a, as a Christian, right? Because we believe that God ordains all things. I've, I've heard people say, you know, there is through God's sovereignty, you end up with the one God has for you. I've also heard people say there's not in particular one person. You could There's lots of people you could marry or you could date. Where do you land on that? And how have you counseled young adults? Yeah, the, the one is out there with the Oompa Loompa and the Tooth Fairy and Santa Claus <laughs> and the Easter Bunny, and they're all hanging out on an island, right? Yeah. And so if you're, if you're looking for the one, you're going to be looking for a really long time. You're not trying to find a soulmate an S-O-U-L mate. You're trying to find a soul mate, a S-O-L-E mate. That's one mate for a lifetime. And, and this idea of, you know, the, the one or, you know, my perfect match or um, it, it really comes from Greek mythology. So the Greeks believed that at one point, everyone, you know, had four arms and two heads and the, the Greek gods cut them in half. And so you had to roam throughout the earth trying to find your soul mate the person that was made around the same time or the person that that you originally started off being a part of them. And this is the, you know, if, if anybody's older listening, you remember in Jerry Maguire, they say, you complete me. And it's just this idea. I'm trying to find that person to complete me. But every person, every human being is absolutely complete. Jesus Christ was the most complete human being that's ever walked the planet Earth. And, and he was single. Um, that's where I would just start with your audience on, I would say to anyone listening, I want to apologize as a pastor on behalf of the church that we've missed this because we've elevated the calling of marriage above singleness. And the scriptures do not do that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 7, the apostle Paul says, I wish you were as I am. He was single. And he says, singleness is a gift. He says, each one has their own gift. And he's really plagiarizing the, the, the words of Jesus in a lesser known passage in Matthew 19. Jesus says, there are some who are celibate for the sake of the kingdom. He says, not everyone can accept this, but those who can should. Now you have the greatest missionary that ever lived who was single, and you have the Messiah, the one who we follow his example, he also was single. We know that the scriptures say that whoever finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord, but it doesn't say in Proverbs 18, 22, that whoever finds a wife finds what is ultimate. 
And we say that we see in Genesis, it's not good for a person to be alone. And while that's true, we were made to live in community. It's also true that singleness is a very high calling in the scripture. And that if you have the gift of singleness, in fact, there's a quiz in Outdated that you can you can take the quiz and find out for certain if you're called, to, if you have the gift of singleness. And if you have the gift of singleness, if you're single today, use that gift today. Don't, don't get obsessed with trying to lose that gift as quickly as you can. But to go back to talking about the one, my wife, I'm, I'm six foot seven inches tall. I'm weird tall, like I'm, I'm odd <laughs> tall. And she's five foot three. I've got dark hair. She has blonde hair. I like guns, motorcycles, and the UFC. She doesn't like any of those things, right? And so if, if you know, I would just ask, is there someone out there better for Monica than me? And, and the answer is absolutely. Hundreds of thousands of men out there would be more compatible for my wife than I am. But she's the one for me because she's the one I committed to. I entered into a covenant for. And so now for the rest of our life, we're committed to serving each other as the scripture calls us to it in, in Ephesians 5, 1 Peter 3 and Colossians 3, that I, I am to care for her, right? We're mutually submitting to one another that I'm putting her preferences before my own to love and to serve her and to cherish her. That's the calling on my life now that we've entered into this covenant. And that really is the pathway to the greatest intimacy, the, the greatest joy in marriage. And so people try to find the right one. And you don't find the right one. It's forged. It's forged through difficulties. It's, you know, no one when they get married think, oh, we're going to go through miscarriages and infertility and the real, we may lose a child, God forbid. I'm going to lose my job. All these challenges that life throws at us. And that going through those challenges selflessly that's where a marriage is really forged into something beautiful. But singles today get stuck at this idea of I've got to find the right one for me. And it's too much pressure. It's like trying to find a needle in a haystack. You get stuck in this paralysis by analysis. To date someone may, means you, may mean you're missing out on someone else. And we don't look for anything else, Daniel, in life like that. If I'm looking for something, it's like I have to know what I'm looking for so I know if I found it. Not, not just like chasing a feeling. Like I need something more pragmatic, more logical than just chasing a feeling. Like how do, well, how do I feel? If I'm looking for milk, I don't stand in front of the freezer at the grocery store and say, well, how do I feel about the milk? It's like I know what milk I'm looking for. And so when I find it, I commit to it. You know, I, I purchase it. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you on that. And that's actually kind of where, I, that's where I land. I believe that like, yeah, with so my wife and I, uh, Elise, like we met. We actually met, funny enough, in a very modern dating way. Like met on Bumble on a dating app. Uh, but I, I took the advice, funny enough, from Aziz Ansari and his book on dating, where he's like, the the biggest mistake a lot of people make is they like connect online, but it, they never actually meet in person. So like, I just made made sure. I'm like, I I reached out to Elise, said, hey, let's get tacos as soon as possible. So, but like to try and get together as quick as possible to be in person. Um, but we've talked about this. We've been married like a year and a half now. And we, cause you know, she loves watching the bachelor. She, she just finds it so out of control, right? The, you know, what these people go through and they're always talking about the one. And we were talking about that exact thing. Like, how do you know, like, are, are we the one for each other? Like when you imagined the one, did you imagine me? And uh, it's funny because, um, yeah, where, where we've landed on this is, man, there could have been like so many different the ones. But the moment I put the ring 
on Elise's finger, I told her, you're the one. And, and so in some ways, it was God's sovereignty working, boom, to that moment where I put the ring on her finger, said, you're the one. And what's been unique is actually there's been moments and glimpses and reminders and um, just like um, the Lord, the, the footsteps in the sand, you turn around and you see all the different areas where the Lord affirmed that choice, affirmed that decision. Like our palates, we enjoy the same food, the same music, just little things that I could ne- have never imagined. Yeah. Um, actually affirmed that, no, Elise was literally the one, she was created to be my partner. And so yeah, it's just such a unique thing. Yeah, and if she didn't, like if y'all didn't like the same food, like, and if you didn't like the same music, like you would have fun trying to figure out how to compliment each other in that. And that would be okay too, right? And it would be affirmed in different ways. And so I absolutely have an extremely high view of God's sovereignty. I believe he is absolutely sovereign and all-knowing and and controls everything. I mean, he, everything exists in his control. There's not a, a sparrow that hits the ground outside of his his control and knowledge. And, and yet he doesn't call us to know his mysterious will. He calls us to seek out his revealed will. And, and the way that people date in the world today is they forsake God's revealed will. And they'll, they'll say, you know, they'll come up to me and say, you know, I just don't know if God, you know, wants us to break up or get married. And I'm like, well, if one's an option, I'm not sure the other should be, but they're like, they're just really, I just don't know. What does God want me to break up or get married? I'm like, why well, are you sleeping together? I'm like, oh yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah. I'm like, well, he wants you not to sleep together. He's like, yeah, but does he want us to break up or get married? No. He's like, why is God going to reveal to you his mysterious will when, when you have forsaken his revealed will? There's all of these things, these 66 books of instruction from the Lord that that he directs us in that, that we should know and apply to our relationships. And as we do that, we walk by faith and he leads us. Like he'll guide us and lead us and, and we can apply our logic and what we know. He tells us what we should look for in a spouse through through different ideas in the scriptures. And when we find that, we should commit to it. And, and God's going to work out that, you know, Matthew 6, 33, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. He's going to work out those other details, but don't blow past the clear instruction that he's given us in the word. Yeah. Where do you think then that many single people are having the most difficulty with that exact point. Like, so beginning to start getting married, because we I think so many single people, I was single for a really long time and, and and I was waiting for, you know, like a sign in the sky or something to be like, oh, do you think that is one of the biggest challenges for single people? Is like them just looking at God's like like get trying to figure out that mis- mysterious will, that mystery. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of people think about it like you did for a really long time. Jesus says, you know, I read this the other day, ironically, he said, it's a a wicked and adulterous generation wants a sign. And I think that that is how we approach, you know, dating and marriage. It's like, Lord, give me a sign. Uh, How how do I know, you know, when I found the one and how do I know? And it's just like, there's nothing else in life that we think about that. Well, like, and God does not ask us nowhere in the scriptures. Does he ask us to think about that? So when Abraham is looking for a wife, for his son, he sends his servant out with a list, right? He says, this is what I want. I want you to find someone from among God's people. And Eleazar goes to where people serve and he prays that, you know, she would be a servant and that that's how he's going to know if she serves, right? We can take that same principle and apply it to our own search. If Monica, I'll go back to my milk analogy. If, if my wife 
she sends me to the store for milk. She never just says, we need milk, right? <laughs> She's very specific because she knows I'll get the cheapest, you know, generic milk I can find. She wants the organic 2% blue label, blue cap, this brand milk. Like she's real, she'll say milk, but parenthetically, she'll write this description that she wants me to find. So when I'm walking through the milk aisle, it's like, I know what I'm looking for so that I know when I found it, I don't open the, the refrigerator door. Like I said, and think, okay, how do I feel? And God, would you give me a sign if this is the right milk? I, I, I'm like, oh, this is the blue label, blue cap, 2% organic, this brand, I'm going to commit to that one. And really, in, in searching for a spouse, should you want a spouse, that's the way you should. You should just say, I know what I'm looking Okay, I'm looking. So if I'm a guy, I'm looking for a woman who fears the Lord, the Proverbs 31, 30, right? A woman who fears the Lord should be praised. Uh, a wife of noble character. Uh, someone, you know, her life is marked by the pursuit of Jesus. She's kind, gentle. She, her beauty comes from a gentle and quiet spirit, this, the, you know, Peter says. So I'm, I'm writing all of these things that, that the scripture uses to describe a woman. And so that when I see her, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is what God says I should look for. And I'm like, hey, do you want to marry me? Do you want to spend the rest of your life with me? And it's it really, like, that blows people's mind. It is that simple. That marriage is always going to outlast the marriage of someone who chased a feeling because your feelings change. And if you follow your feelings, the same feelings that led you in that relationship will lead you out of a relationship. Well, in the same way that feelings change, tastes change as well. 100%. Uh, in the same way that you enjoy some food now that you didn't later. People change. Yeah. People change. Like if you like, you know, if you're like, I want someone who is really fit, you know, uh, that's that's what, you know, and so it's like, man, I'm going to marry someone who's really fit. And then maybe they're not, you know, you know, four kids later, they may not be so fit. And and nobody thinks about it that way. So do you leave them? Because now you, you just assumed, oh, I, I thought they're always going to be fit. And the reality is we're all getting uglier and people get so offended when I say that, but I'm just like, show me the 85-year-old that you're attracted to, you know? And 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 by the and by the grace of God, hopefully you're 85 one day and you're still, if, if your spouse is 85, hopefully you're still committed to them, right? And you're still gonna see the 23-year-old co-ed as just as hot as as you always thought. That that's not gonna change. <laughs> I've 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 heard it go like the a saying it says, you know, women are like wine, they get finer with age. But men are like milk, you know, to bring it back to your milk yeah. analogy there. Yeah. But uh, there's something very, very true about that. I mean, there's, I heard always growing up too, um, hey, you know, as a young Christian man, make a list, make a list of all the things that you want in a wife. And I think that's kind of what you have just described is a making of a list, but it was way different than the list that a lot of my friends made, you know, where it's like, I want a girl who, yeah, like plays sports. I want a girl who is this particular height and this particular hair color, and she has got a degree. And her degree isn't just, like she has a nursing degree, right? That's a really specific degree. Or she has a business degree because I want her to be able to also be contributing uh, financially and have a good head on her shoulders. Like, I feel like some of the lists, while they can speak to, I think, good principles, get oddly specific and I think oddly unrealistic and I think or, or worldly or worldly yeah and I think that a lot of young adults struggle because they have built a person in their mind that doesn't actually exist but the person they have built is just a reflection of themselves I'm a big fan of lists okay so if you're listening and you want marriage create a list just make sure it's God's list and then so in in outdated I actually list hey if, if you're a guy here's what to look for in a girl if you're a girl here's what to look for in a guy uh, you know this is what the scripture says and and that should be our list 
when we say things like, you know, hair color may change, it may, she, she may get cancer and go through chemo and her hair falls out. Right. And so you just gotta be, you gotta be careful when you base everything on the physical, the scripture says charm is deceitful and beauty is fleeting. Beauty is fleeting means it's, it's going away. It's a depreciating asset. So hopefully you invested in something more concrete and eternal than beauty because beauty's beauty's going to leave. And so will your marriage. If that's what you chose somebody on the, the guy, ladies, the guy that will date you for your body will leave you for your body and your body is fleeting. That's what you need to know. It's fleeting. Gravity is going to take its toll on that body. Wow. Yes, it will. <laughs> and and listen, I get it. Like my wife is still beautiful. Don't get me wrong. Three kids later, she's, she's still like the way that God designed intimacy is if we go through it the correct way, she remains the epitome of beauty to me, right? Like, because she's, she's my outlet. Like she's the, the one that I come together with and, and celebrate intimacy with. And so, she, you know, she is that for me, the epitome of beauty for me. But in reality, like her, her body's going to change. My body has changed. And, uh, and, you know, and that's going to happen for everyone. No one is, there's the, the age defying industry is, is a $30 billion industry, but nobody has learned how to defy age completely. So you can get all the Botox you want, you know, at some point gravity and, and, and skin elasticity wins. Mm -hmm. It does. And I think actually the wrinkles and and the aging is a sign of beauty because it's a sign of wisdom and I, I just think there's something very attractive to that about someone who you see an old couple together still holding hands wrinkled and you're like that's you know that's what I want to be 30 40 years from now is walking hand in hand with Elise yeah I know we, we need to wrap up soon but I just would say that there's this verse in first Samuel 16 when when Israel's looking for a king and God says, I do not look what man looks at. I do not look at the outward appearance. I look at the heart. And, uh, and so some people like Christians will say, well, what if I'm not attracted to them, physically attracted to them? I would say you should pray that God would make you attracted to what he's attracted to. Right. And, and that we, that we would walk so closely with God that we would find attractive what he finds attractive. And so I do think that takes a real spiritual maturity to say, you know, wrinkles are attractive because they're a sign of wisdom. And I, while I think that's true, I think that's something that we have to learn, you know, through our time with God. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we do have to wrap up here, but let me ask you just two questions about the book, just bring it back to outdated. What was the most challenging chapter to write? Maybe the most frustrating chapter to write? And then what is the most like the chapter you get most excited about in that book. Yeah, I think, you know, there's a chapter in breaking up and and it's always just pastoral. Pastorally, it's it's difficult to deal with heartache because people feel so desperate. Like they just want, they want closure. They want a conversation. They feel ghosted, forgotten, you know, and, and they're confused because someone slid into their DMs. And so I just talk about how leaders remove confusion and how to love somebody is is really that we we don't leave them wandering. We remove confusion and and what it looks like to break up well if things if things need to end, how we do that in a way that we actually leave someone better than we found them. And so I think because of the the serious nature and the delicate nature of that conversation, that might have been the hardest to write. And the one, I think the one that I'm most excited about is just this kind of revolutionary idea of 
if you just know what you're looking for, you'll be able to find it. And until you know what you're looking for, you will not be able to find it. And and we really just take this idea that that has become so complicated. Honestly, Satan has made it complicated through Eastern philosophy and following feelings. And you know, the, the, the scripture says, it doesn't say to follow your heart, it says to guard your heart, Proverbs 4, 23, because everything we do flows from it. In, in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, he says, lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge God. And so we have to, we can't follow a heart that's uninformed. And I, I really expound on that idea. And I think that's been revolutionary for people to understand, okay, what of my feelings can I trust? What does that look look like? And so I, I love, you know, when things, when people have said, hey, that's been helpful to me. Amazing. Hey, thank you for your time. And uh, thank you for just all your insight here. Um, if people want to grab your book, if they want to buy it, where can they find it? It's available everywhere books are sold. You know, Amazon being the, the biggest distributor of books is, is certainly there. And so you can go on Amazon, but you can go to jonathanpecluded.com for a list of, of different retailers that have it available in Canada and the United States. And so you can just jonathanpecluded.com. Amazing. Jonathan, thanks again for joining us and spending time here uh, with us. And uh, hey, we look forward to being able to chat again at some point. Thank you, Daniel. I appreciate it. It's great being with you. Well, thank you for listening. And thank you, Jonathan, again for joining us. If you want to hear another episode we did back in the past with Jonathan, it's episode 181. And the topic was welcome to adulting. So young adults, adulting, that's a real thing for us. Hope this episode was helpful to you. And we look forward to having you join us again on Endow. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to hear more, subscribe on iTunes or Spotify or visit us online at indoubt.ca or indoubt.com. We're also on social media, so make sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Hey, this is Isaac, one of the hosts of Indoubt, a ministry of Good News Global Media. Is it possible that being a Christian young person could be any more complicated than it is today? How do we make right choices and decisions when so many opinions around us seem contrary to what it means to live for Christ? At Indoubt, we hope to help make sense, biblical sense, of those difficult choices, decisions, and the complexity of faith, life, and culture in 2021. So join us every week for another challenging conversation in our response as God's people. For everything in doubt, visit indoubt.com. And if you'd like to help us continue to offer this program, you can make a gift of any amount at indoubt.com or by calling 1-844-663-2424.